Hey guys, Logan here. Unfortunately, during this episode, my microphone died halfway through. We still have the Zoom recording, uh, but there is quite... Um, we still have the Zoom recording, but there's quite an annoying whine whenever I speak. Uh, the audio quality is quite poor. So apologies for that. Um, but we figured we might as well upload the content anyway in case somebody does want to sit through this. Uh, yeah, enjoy to the extent that you can, and of course, feel free to just skip to the next episode. Welcome to Consuming Jung, Episode 3. Uh, my name is Logan. I'm here with my friend Tim. Everybody, yeah, Tim here, and this week we read The Function of Dreams, the third chapter in Consuming uh, in consuming Jung, but also the third chapter in uh, Man's and Symbols. Man and his symbols, right. Yeah. Do you, any opening thoughts? I have no opening thoughts. I thought we would do a silent <laughs> podcast this week, just kind of sit with our thinking. No opening, closing, or thoughts in, of any other kind. I think that's... In fact, let's just wrap it up. <laughs> okay, thanks guys for tuning in. Okay, welcome to episode uh, three and a half of uh, Consuming You. I'm Logan, and this is my friend Tim. Yes, hello. Well, okay, so he kind of talks more about dreams, of course. We're still on dreams, not really into symbols. In fact, I'm wondering if we'll be on on dreams this whole time. Um, But certainly, we're still very much on the topic of dreams, and... uh, he hasn't quite described yet how you should think about them, but he's outlining more their importance. And you can really sum up the, the importance of dreams with the one sentence where he says, the general function of dreams is to restore a psychological balance by producing dream material that reestablishes in a subtle way, the total psychic equilibrium. And I mean, that whole chapter could have been condensed to that one sentence, although there's a lot more material there, but how do you, how do you like the sound of that? Yeah, I think it's, I mean, it's a, that's definitely the, the point. Um, and it just, for me, it connects to another idea. He talks sort of about, he mentioned the like primitive men, uh, primitive, primitive man rather, uh, in the previous chapters. And then here he does it a bit more deliberately. Um, and he compares, he, he, I don't want to say attacks, but he, he sort of, I don't know, he lists some disadvantages of the modern man or maybe some drawbacks of the life of modern man. And I think part of the argument here is that dreams um, are useful because we're so modern, so controlled, uh, so conscious. And so dreams are more essential because they can help rebalance. And again, it's kind of what that line was getting at. But for me, it, it connects to this, uh, this distance that we have from our more primordial, more instinctual past. He described, he told a story that was interesting about these African tribesmen that they had been touched by modernity, but they were still sort of living in their own culture more so, but how they said that they they used to value dreams more, like there's living people who remembered being contacted by the British or the first contact or something to that effect. And they used to, put more value in their dreams. And they said that they noticed a shift after they made contact with the Western world, which I thought maybe was a little bit of editorializing because it was a little too clean for that narrative. 
which I haven't quite bought into. And maybe this is the modern man part of my, my psyche talking. It feels attacked or something, but it, it was uh, striking if it indeed is true. Mm. And uh, partly I don't see that like primitive people were more capable of interpreting their dreams. I sort of struggle to imagine why now that I'm aware of the importance of it, maybe it's just realizing that it's important. Maybe that's what goes away. Like the idea of wanting to place value on something that might seem superstitious by its nature, which modern man would balk at, but perhaps primitive man would have, wouldn't even realize that there would be an issue with that. Maybe that's what goes away but I don't feel that primitive man had a better way of, of talking about this, which I think is a point of disagreement between us. So I wonder how you take that. Mm. Well, what I interpreted his statement to be more, I thought he was saying that um, not so much that they were better at interpreting dreams, but just that they were more naturally in touch with symbolism and, and intuition hunches. I mean, they, I mean, well, sort of a negative way to put it would be that they're more superstitious. Uh, but because of that, they are more, they, you know, they, they talk about the spirits around them. And he mentioned in this chapter about how uh, a, a primitive man might, might identify with a tree or a rock or the, or the spirit of the forest or things like that. Um, and that's something that modern man has stepped away from largely. And I, and I think, I mean, I think we don't want to go back. I don't want to go, certainly don't want to go back. And I doubt Jung would want to go back, but I think he, uh, I agree with what I think he's saying, which is to say that we're, we're missing that direct contact. Uh, it's not worth going back for, but we might want to spend more effort in getting back in touch with it. And, uh, and dreams seem to be able to do that. Uh, we can get back into symbolism. You know, symbols are very um, unconscious things. Uh, they're, you can't describe them. You can't put them into a system at least how he's defined it here. Uh, and so if we really want to be in touch with symbols, dreams is just a, uh, I don't think he's saying that they're the only, the dreams are the only way to access symbols, but that they're just such a rich uh, way to access them. And that maybe not so again, not that the primitive man was better at understanding dreams, but just that they were constantly in contact with symbolism more because it's all they had. Hmm. Yeah, I, I find myself in resistance to that idea for some reason. I can't articulate exactly why. Well, maybe I worry that it's a generalization because I, I see that at Primitive Man, it's probably having lives as rich as our own. Uh, but maybe, maybe yeah, maybe there's no basis for what I'm saying because maybe there was more symbolism, but it's kind of hard for me to wrestle with that idea because I feel like I still don't really understand what symbolism means. In some sense, it's it's one of those things that's everywhere. Everything is a symbol, and certainly modern man sees many, many symbols in the form of brands, right? We're constantly seeing brands from anything that we buy, and so mm. those, I think, are more like symbols as opposed to initialisms. Like, they're, they're trying to put a conscious idea in your mind. Uh, there was one sentence, uh, so I, but I, it does seem like there is something that we've lost from primitive man that, that we 
are sort of severed from maybe not all people's and occasionally we do tap into it again sometimes i do feel more primitive well and how would you describe that because uh, that, that would be the thing that i would champion and that you tend to push back against so now i'm curious how would you describe the piece that we that we have sort of disconnected from i i think what acting purely by instinct is what I'm thinking of when I act more primitively. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when that's, and usually it's not necessarily in a positive light. It's, uh, it's something like ravenously eating and sort of unthinkingly eating or drinking water after let's say running mm-hmm. and just drinking water. And all you can focus on is that experience of drinking water and it's spilling down your, on your shirt and stuff like that. Cause you're, you're going a little <laughs> too hard. You go rabbit. <laughs> Yeah, and I do, I mean, I do love that feeling, actually. Uh, but sometimes it, I tend to think of it when, like, my baser, baser instincts kick in. Although it also is true to say that my higher instincts, something about, like, you can think of it as spirituality, where I see very clearly something about myself that doesn't seem like it came from rational thought, but was just an insight that popped in on me. Maybe I could also describe that as primitive. So I'm um, um, arguing against myself because I'm sort of coming at this with a negative valence towards, you know, the distinction between primitive man and national man. But maybe I'm just caught on like some unnecessary nuance because there are things that there that are positive that I'm describing. I tend to like those feelings, even if they're sometimes with what my modern persona would like to do less of and be more rational and be more sort of attuned to the modern culture and so forth. Hmm. Well, there means- was, oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> okay, um, let it, me just say- Edit all the bad stuff out. Yeah, yeah, let me just say the, the thing that I, one of the sentences he liked on this point, that again, I find myself in resistance to a little bit, but it's it's waning, is that the, the primitive, he, this is Jung speaking, the primitive, phenomenon of obsession has not vanished it is the same as ever it is only interpreted in a different and more obnoxious way and the way he was this is in reference to he describes a dream by this i think scientist that he knew and the scientist was convinced that he has was going to get cancer that he was going to go to the doctor and be diagnosed with cancer and he the scientist recognized it was irrational he hasn't had cancer he doesn't have really a strong reason to think he just has this feeling this intuitive feeling that he's going to get cancer. And this is sort of an unnecessary extra step because a primitive man may have thought that some evil spirit was clinging to him. And I think Jung's argument was that that's a more clear way to look at it, that you're, so something is, is attacking your spirit or is, or is dragging your spirit down. And the modern man can't really think in those ways. So he thinks, oh, I might get some disease that scientists know about. And that's what I'm really worried about. Right. Yeah, we're, we're way more resistant to anything that's uh, illogical or, or irrational. Uh, we, we are expected to strive towards this secular uh, worldview. And when we step outside of that, for example, if I'm going to tell you I'm into astrology, you know, that, that would be if I was into astrology, I would be embarrassed about that in this culture uh, because it's just, it just goes against the scientific worldview. And yeah, so, so Jung is saying that modern man then, any given modern man, if they're 
if they're afflicted by some kind of unconscious, I don't know, um, underlying effect or something's not right, but they can't consciously figure it out, they're going to be more resistant to um, coming to terms with that because we would like to all pretend that we're completely rational or mostly rational. Whereas the primitive man doesn't have that, uh, doesn't have that expectation. So he will easily say like, oh yeah, well, there's a spirit attacking me. And so that's why I'm not, not coming to work today or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And I guess that just gets back sort of, I, that's, I think what I mean when I say that it sounds like Jung is saying the primitive man is more in touch with symbolism or maybe more in touch with the unconscious even. Uh, I mean, as, as we've become more rational, we've certainly become more conscious. I think that's true. So, I mean, it, it, would, it would seem to be directly the case that we'd become less unconscious, or sorry, less unconscious. And uh, yeah, again, I think the move in general is good. Um, but there, I, I guess I would say that there are things that, uh, there are things to reckon with in that approach. And I think Jung is um, pointing, pointing that out in our sort of disconnect from the unconscious. Maybe, maybe a, a point that we could both agree with is that, that you know, modern man had more access to this. Certainly it just seems like modern man would put, it just seems to be true that modern man would put more value on his dreams excuse me, excuse me, a primitive man would put more value on his dreams and modern man is probably uh, kind of ashamed of them or, or can't fit them in with his rational worldview because of how much they differ from his waking conscious life. Right, and but, I just want to jump in and say the second yeah. part of what you said is like, yeah, it's, the, it's that you can't fit it in. It's not so much I think that we're ashamed because it doesn't even get to that point of being ashamed. It's just, I mean, when I grew up, I as I grew up, I would have dreams and the assumption just from growing up in a secular culture was that they don't mean anything. It's just, I don't even know if I was ever told that or if it just seemed like, well, it was just, it, it was a, it was a, it wasn't real. You know, it was just a thing in my mind and it doesn't mean anything. Somehow something about the culture makes that the default assumption. Yeah, that's, that's true. It's probably never inherently said, Hey, don't, don't, uh, put too much stock in this it's just hallucinations at night that that are maybe can be fun and that's about the gist of it but there does seem to be at the very least there's not value placed on it so it's not necessarily uh trying to be written off but it's not no one's talking it up as some kind of psychologically useful event which i'm sort of starting to realize it may very well be the case you know, especially if it's in a subtle way rebalancing our, our psychic equilibrium. That does sound useful. It's hard to understand how that came to be or if even that is true. But if it is the case, then that's if, a, if a we're useful thing. Mean, or if it can help rebalance. If, 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 it, if, it, if it can actually help unbalance. If the unconscious somehow is more attuned to your psychic health and can communicate things that if they are heated can rebalance your psychic equilibrium or would be a signal that it needs to be rebalanced. Maybe that still needs to be done mm. consciously. So there, there certainly would be value there, yeah. but, but we don't, we didn't place any value. And so by the default, it's hard to put it into your life. Whereas maybe primitive cultures had more of a culture around that. Well, you know, 
certainly around uh, their, their shamans, perhaps, their, their leaders, their dreams would be more impactful. It's hard to imagine uh, Donald Trump saying, I had a dream that <laughs> we should build the wall. Right. And we would sort of, we would just deride him full stop. Right. If that was some kind of spiritual, uh, spiritual statement by him. Whereas I can imagine a thousand years ago, the, the chief, right. If he said that, that would be, Oh wow. The chief had this dream mm. and it's very important. Yeah. Yeah. And assuming that, it, you know, just on that, it's, it's for me, it's easy to imagine that if you do have a small tribe where you you're dealing with nature and you're, and you are the chief and you're responsible for all these people. And if you only assume that dreams actually come from the unconscious and they're not just totally random. And if you also then assume that the unconscious is absorbing information and has some powers of at least making connections, if not actively thinking, then it would seem a natural consequence that in fact, this elder or this chief, if he had a powerful dream where he like, he wakes up and he feels that it's important. It's almost like it would be, you'd be almost a fool to say that's not important. That's, at least that's how I feel now, especially after reading this. And maybe dreams don't have that same, well, actually it's just funny, my, so I, uh, my, so I'm, I'm living in this, this outbuilding uh, with my business partner. And my business partner uh, has left for a couple of weeks and he, he sent me a message the other day and he said, hey, I had a dream that I, uh, when I came back, I couldn't find my dog. <clears throat> Could you, could you just make sure my dog is like, okay or whatever. And there's something about them. This is almost going against what I was saying earlier, but when he told me that it's like, okay, well, I'll check on the dog, but I'm not gonna, I, I don't, I'm not going to heed it in the same way that I would want to heed an elder of a thousand years ago running a tribe. I don't really know what the point I'm trying to make there is, but it's almost, I think it would be foolish to take a dream for some kind of omen in the modern world. Uh, but they were probably more potent in that way in the past. But at the same time, I do suspect that getting in touch with your dreams would be more useful to an individual just as a, you know, in their own life today, maybe because we are so disconnected from symbolism or the unconscious. Yeah. And certainly seemingly the polite thing to do is say, Hey, I'll definitely check on your dog. Cause I know it'll, you know, sort of, I know it'll make you feel better. You, you wouldn't want to be the, the douchebag, you know, Hey, I'm reading this book. And what do you think your dog symbolizes? Cause I'm pretty sure your dog is here without checking, but maybe <laughs> it means something to you that your dog is missing. Does that mean you're, you're like sort of the loyalty of someone? What does right. it mean? That would be very obnoxious even though <laughs> unfortunately that's the level I'm at. That's my sort of my primitive understanding of this book so far is at the very obnoxious level where if I <laughs> talk about it at all, I know I'll just look like a giant idiot. Um, <laughs> it, I can't help but think though. So as far as an omen, a few years ago, my this very unusual thing happened where I treated a dream as an omen, but not a dream that I had. Uh, my dad would go to this public place um, to use his computer. It's like a, I think it was some kind of a library. And there was a guy there that was also kind of a regular. And one day that guy came up to my dad. They never had spoken. 
And the guy had said to my dad, Hey, you know, I know this is weird for me to just come up and tell you this, but I had a dream last night where your son died in an explosion. Like, and I knew it was your son because he, and he was talking about me Hmm. and he said he knew it was me because he'd seen me as well interacting with my dad. He kind of could tell I was his son. And then, and this is my, I didn't see that conversation, but my dad is telling me, Hey, I, you know, it's probably nothing. It's very unusual, but this guy had a dream that he felt moved enough by to tell me about it. Maybe just be careful. And I think I, sort of didn't, it didn't real. I mean, it may have had a tinge of like, well, that's really unusual. So it's kind of scary, but you know, that was years ago and, and nothing happened. And maybe I was sort of more alert at gas stations for a little while. <laughs> and so I did, yeah, it, uh, it never manifested itself in a way. And it's, it's hard, to, it's hard to imagine. It's hard for me to understand why that guy had a dream about another guy's son. Like it's very hard for me to put that into any sort of compartment even after reading this little bit about the purpose of dreams, perhaps even less so because how would that reestablish his psychic equilibrium to have such a dream? Right. Yeah. I mean, my, my first guess would just be that perhaps your dad represented something to that guy. Uh, but yeah, that's odd. Mm. I had, um, I had a series of dreams when I was much younger uh, almost like a reoccurring dream, not really, a, well, it was like a theme. And uh, they would be, I, I, it was a pretty simple dream. I just like would be trying to fly just, you know, by myself, no mechanism. And I would, the dream would be full of me just trying and sort of, it's sort of working, but I couldn't like maintain altitude. I kept sort of doing these long jumps. I could never quite fly. And uh, that happened a lot. Um, off and on for, I, I don't know, I would guess more than five years. And then they kind of tapered off after a while. And, um, and, then, and then recently, not so recently, maybe a year or two ago, I had a dream where I actually was able to fly. And, um, and when I had that dream, the symbolism um, suddenly seemed quite clear. So a bit of personal background, I, I I love starting new projects and I always have these, uh, these grand dreams, as you know. Um, and, uh, but they always turned out to be, well, I never finished them. And so you could almost call them delusional if you were being particularly harsh. Um, and then recently with my current project, I feel like it's really going somewhere and I feel like I, I'm on the right track. And it was around the time I'd realized that, that I had this second dream. And that to me seemed incredibly symbolic uh, that I was striving for this greatness some sort of impact and these dreams and I didn't connect this when I was having these dreams but these dreams I think were symbolic of that striving and of the doubt that I would ever actually get there and now you know whether or not I'm actually going to get there I do feel sure about it now and when that change happens when I had that that sort of that last dream of, of light and I, I remember waking up and and knowing right away it was significant and then pretty quickly putting together that symbolism and I've never had those dreams since so that was, um, that was cool. <laughs> yeah, that does. Sound, and that actually seems to, to fit in a satisfying way. In this chapter, you talked about flying dreams and falling dreams. So it's both mm -hmm. kinds of dreams. And says that there's people that are ready to make generalizations. Well, all flying dreams mean that uh, you are escaping something and, and 
I'm not sure what the counterpart to fallen dreams would be, says that even those can't be can't be generalized. It, it, it has to be interpreted by the individual. But it sounds like you have a very clean interpretation that that would be useful. And and I sort of think I'm still sort of trying to look at all this as a cyclic psychic equilibrium because in that case it seems like maybe it's not just when you're doing things that are wrong perhaps your that your brain sort of tells you hey you need to be more kind to others or to yourself or acknowledge this negative aspect it may also be trying to say hey things are going better than you thought like don't doubt yourself so much you are succeeding and you will be a success in the ways that you want sort of imagine it working both ways after you describe that right yeah, it seems to me, the more I think about these dreams, at least the ones I've been having since we started this podcast, they don't seem so judgmental. I don't get the sense that there is a message deliberately put into a dream by my unconscious for me to pick up. It seems more that the dream is constructed out of some kind of, uh, some kind of, um, the dream is constructed out of thought patterns and habits and things like that. And then you end up with a narrative that's based on something that sort of might happen in your real life. And then upon waking, you create the meaning from it. You look at it and you say, oh, that's interesting. I made that choice. Why did I make that choice? It's not like your unconscious is, is, is trying to tell you, hey, look, you always make this choice. Rather, the dream is built up out of the types of choices you make. And then when you wake up and you think about it more, you can, you can draw out these patterns. So that's just been an interesting um, I don't develop it, development in my own uh, attitude towards these dreams. I don't feel like there's anything deliberately disguised. It's not like when you write poetry and you have something you want to say, but you try to make it subtle. Uh, I don't get that sense from these dreams. It seems like they're just kind of thrown together by not such a deliberate process. And the meaning you get is, is created partially by the analysis after the fact. You get that sense as well. There, I, I have been, I have been very, confused by all my dreams now that i'm paying attention i really can't it does feel far more vague to me and i'm not sure what i'm not attuned to partially i think that maybe the medium is not that strong so what what are we talking about we're talking about the unconscious trying to communicate something and it's an intentional communication and it's a true communication everything so if we take that for granted uh, it's I've been just trying to think about my dreams and they really don't make any sense. Maybe I've had one recent one that I'll talk about later, but I normally am including things like I can't remember them very shortly after, after waking up. So yeah. how important is this thing? If, if I don't have a mechanism for, it just seems like sort of almost comically bad <laughs> memory because it's right. one of the most interesting things, right? That you hallucinate sometimes right. very unusual, funny, strange interesting things and then you forget them so so fast it's yeah. like yeah it's almost like we're, there's it's almost like there's something in our brain designed to forget the dream which would go against the idea that they're functional somehow yeah or, or so it seems yeah yeah that's that's an interesting thing i was thinking about too uh he's jung says that there are a function to these dreams um but one sort of small point against that is that they're so hard to remember. And I, I suspect that we all have many more dreams than we actually remember. Uh, I mean, I know that if I have a dream and I, it makes me wake up, which only happens rarely, but if I don't get up and actually write it down or, or store it somewhere, I'll, I'll just completely forget it. 
Right. Oh, exactly the same. Very rarely do I remember a dream without writing it down. Uh, and usually it's something really, really interesting, like flying. I think I tend to remember flying dreams. So maybe not even that. I mean, how would I know dreams that I don't remember? Which, which begs the question is, is the unconscious communicating with itself, right? It seems like people, if we're always dreaming every night, if we get that rapid eye movement, REM, sleep, does that mean it's always, it's always communicating and only some of that is deemed worthy of a, hey, conscious, tune into this for a few seconds because you need to hear this conversation I'm having with myself? Yeah, it could be. I mean, it could be that dreams are just almost like a byproduct of a natural, some kind of synthesis or some kind of process in the unconscious. And then when we remember dreams, because our conscious mind is, it's like it's coherent enough for our conscious mind to start paying attention and remember it as a narrative. That could be, could be a part of this. Another thing I was thinking is that I wrote this down. If dreams are helpful, why isn't it easy to remember them and to listen to them? Um, and part of the answer might be that because, you know, we evolved as primitive men and now we're modern men. And primitive men, if they're way more in touch with symbolism, they might just not have needed to remember the dreams as much. Uh, unless they were striking, you know, like a, like a chief having some dream that everyone's going to die or whatever. Um, and so maybe a way that we could still get back and agree with you to say that dreams are important is to say that dreams are important for the modern man uh, because they get us in touch with symbolism and they're hard to remember because we evolved in, a, in an environment that just didn't, we didn't need that, that you know, to become in, as in touch with our emotions just because you know, we dealt with gods every day. The tree was a god and, and, uh, and I was always inhabited by spirits. You know, like there were all the Greek gods, for example, and each of these Greek gods represented different um, emotions. And so when you were angry, the worldview at that time was you were possessed by, I don't, I don't know what the, the name of the, I don't know if there is a god of anger, but like, okay, if you were like super turned on, you'd be possessed by Eros, right? Um, and that's how the Greeks saw it. And so if you go back even further, mm. Um, everything would have been symbolism and it wasn't rational at all. Rationality was an, an invention in some way. Um, so maybe that's why if we can get a lot of value from dreams today, maybe that helps explain why they're so hard to remember. So we didn't need them as much in the past. Hmm. That's interesting. You know, as it's kind of stewing in my brain, I'm sort of coming more and more over to that idea I couldn't help but think of a podcast I listened to yesterday, the Joe Rogan podcast, really great episode, Duncan Trussell, check it out folks. But one of the things they talked about was just kind of the plight of modern man. And, and the thing Joe Rogan said was about stars, how the most beautiful artwork in the entire universe is something we don't see anymore. Unless you live in the country, you are cut off from the most beautiful thing in the universe, which you, forces you to recognize how small you are, like all this stuff about worrying about deadlines and, and in the case of dreams, you know, waking up to alarm clocks right in the middle of like your deep sleep, right? Because you went to bed a little too late, not waking up naturally at minimum. All these things conspire to, to cut you off from that, that part of your I don't even want to say psyche because it might go deeper than that. I mean, how long have animals had sight? How long have they been looking at the sky and being affected by it somewhat? And then in the last, what, 50, 80 years, just being cut off from the stars because of all the light that's there. That's a right. very, very recent uh, change. 
right. that who, who knows what the effect of that is. But it's like at the same time, people are, are living longer than ever, right? We have more years to live, in theory anyways, but are we just psychologically more unhealthy than, than people back then? I, I, probably not. I wouldn't go that far because I've just, after reading Steven Pinker's books about how, how much we've progressed morally or seemingly have progressed, I think he makes a convincing argument that people in the past, we tend to idealize the past despite how, how difficult their, their lives may have been. Yeah. There, there is something that we must have lost. Absolutely. Yeah. That's where I'm at too. I I as well, when I read Steven Pinker's book, fantastic author, by the way, if you guys haven't read any of Steven Pinker's book, they're there. Just amazing. The best nonfiction, the most enjoyable nonfiction I've ever read. Anyway, um, I was very much sold on this idea that like things are better now than they ever have been. And I think in a lot of ways that is true. Uh, but I also think that there are, there are way, there are things that we're missing from, from the past. Um, it's been a recent change for me. I used to be pretty anti-tradition, very much progressive, uh, and I, I wouldn't call myself traditionalist now, but I do think there's more of a value to those kinds of things. Tradition, myths, um, even religion, which I was, uh, for a long time, I was very much against. Um, but I don't, I don't think it's either one. I don't think that, uh, I don't think it's strictly either one. I don't think the Steven Pinker worldview is enough. It's, I don't think it's enough to say that we're wealthier and we're healthier, et cetera, because it kind of, it doesn't really focus a lot on the mental health. Um, it doesn't focus on the fact that secular people have a hard time finding meaning. I think it's a, it's a more challenging thing to approach. Um, but obviously we can't go back. That's, that's not in our nature in any way. So I don't know, I guess just for me personally, I'm, I'm hopeful and excited about the idea that dreams could just get me in touch with that part of me that, it's, it's almost like I, I think of it as, as a part of me that just can't speak and can't reason and isn't, isn't all about the scientific worldview. Um, I mean, obviously humans, as humans, we have a large part of that in us. We're emotional creatures. Um, and a lot of people have argued that our rationality comes after the emotional stuff. Like we're really only rational on top of our emotions, on top of our lizard brain, so to speak. And, but today we are so focus on the rationality that I'm I'm excited at the prospect of what seems like it could be a, a really rich tool set for getting back in touch with the unconscious and with sort of these these roots and he's mentioned he, he hinted in this dream or sorry he hinted in this um, chapter that uh, a later writer in this book again this book is made up of a few different writers Jung just writes the first uh, section uh, but later someone's going to be connecting symbolism to history. Um, so that's also going to be interesting. Yeah. A bit of a rant there. Sorry about that. <laughs> I, I ran down a bunch of different tracks there. No, it's all good. I'm just sort of taking my time to think because hmm. I think we're closing in on, on the end, but something you said there, like hit something and it's like right on the edge of my conscious in my Mm. unconscious you might say uh -huh. subconscious <laughs> right um and i can't quite grasp on what it is um 
That's okay though. Either no, it'll no, come back. No. Well, what, so what? Do you remember what it was that I said, or what? Where it was? Oh yes, yes. Um, I think it's something to the effect of we are in the best possible position to to start dealing with this now because we actually mm. okay we we had all the primitive superstitious stuff and undoubtedly really superstition will lead you to burn witches and things like that like really cause a lot more harm than it needs to because maybe you're misinterpreting or maybe you're adequately interpreting your psychic equilibrium but you don't have the tools to to do something more useful or more humane whereas now we can sort of we can paradoxically rationally decide to discount our rationality in search Mm. of of deeper connection of, of deeper insight and so now that yeah. we have this awakening, if you will, we are just kind of the best of both worlds or we can be if we move in this direction. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Uh, it's not, yeah, because pure superstition and, and um, a complete lack of rationality or conscious mind. I mean, it's hard to even imagine what that would mean to be a human and not be conscious, at least. Um, but yeah, maybe, maybe today... Uh, there's there's opening up a space for this kind of exploration from a more rational, more calm um, seat. Although I don't want to say like from a rational place because that feels like for me anyway, it's still putting rationality on too high of a pedestal. Like I don't really want to walk all the way out into rationality and then peer back into the unconscious. I mm. that's too analytical for what I am hoping. And what I what I think I want, I want to get more in touch, like uh, sort of from the bottom. Um, and I guess that's uh, part of the promise that I'm starting to see with these dreams, with dream analysis, is that they don't you don't determine your dreams at all. I mean, that's quite clear. <laughs> mm, yeah. uh, we know one thing about dreams; it's that we certainly do not control them rationally. We don't create them rationally, uh, and so that could be a very rich place to to get. Because the thing about being rational is you can lie to yourself. I think that's one of the dangers with rationality. You can create a system and you can start interpreting the world with that system. And any data points that that come at you that don't fit into the system, it's just easy to discard them and you just confirm your own theory. I think that's that's a big danger with rationalism. And with dreams, that's not that's not as much of a danger. In fact, you almost some of the examples in this chapter almost point to the opposite that these dreams, if you're, if you're like telling yourself a story and maybe it's not entirely accurate, it's this, it's the unconscious that will, that will start to push back against that in the form of dreams. Like he, he talked about that woman who, um, she, he said something like it's well known that she was, um, I don't remember how he said it, but like high and mighty and that she would, thought she was too good for everybody. But, uh, but then she kept having, she had this dream where, uh, she went to a hotel of some sort and the, the hostess was like, oh yeah, come, come meet all of your friends. And, and she led her into a room and there was just a bunch of cows or like it was in a barn or something. So quite a mm-hmm. message, from, message from her unconscious basically being like, you know, you're, you're a bit too on your high horse there. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Kind of a joke at her own expense that right. she was unwilling to recognize during the sessions. Yeah. Yeah, yeah there's, there's so. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I was gonna say, yeah, dreams could offer an interesting portal back into uh, it's like maybe it's a good it's like an honest exploration into our primal nature uh, rather than something that's too analytical. We're touching on something that's deeply interesting to me. I feel the conversation has entered a really good vein here, but I can't imagine we'll wrap it up. Certainly more reading will be good, but I don't even know this is somehow connected to very important things, very important aspects rather of, of my spiritual journey that I feel like I've maybe I've been on my whole life, but I feel I've been more paying more attention to in the last two, three years, especially as I meditate more often and, Part of it is it I sort of sometimes feel like I'm not the conscious actions that I take, but more so I'm the watcher of my actions. I'm sort of witness to my life instead of the author. I'm the reader, not the author. Hmm. And it kind of feels like more so what I am is after reading this, these chapters from Jung and, and kind of getting this vocabulary more into my head is it feels like what I think of myself is, is the unconscious. And just because the conscious is is so limiting, how many things can we really think about at one time? Some people say one, although we can think in terms of systems and generalities, it's still one thing mm. at a time. And that's just too limited for for what it feels like I am. And sometimes like there's this feeling of profundity that you can't put words to, but it's like your whole being is tied into it. And there's a sort of, there's an, a oneness and there's in like, there's a sort of, infiniteness to it at the same time paradoxically like all these feelings that don't really are not and even though they must be conscious it really feels like it's blurring the lines at that point and something about what you said just triggered that uh, that same sensation in me that sort of the tuning in to those feelings that make all the sort of small stuff about my life seem so laughably ridiculous about wanting to build up wealth so that I can retire mm. or wanting to get good at a certain type of like coffee drink, making it, you know, perfectly. Mm. I still want that, but it seems laughable in comparison with these other goals. Mm. And maybe that's a bit too, uh, no, like deeper motivations. That's, that's the sense I'm getting that. So if I could just yeah. raise what you said, it, what I heard is, is that, to identify completely with rational conscious thought is it just seems it's it sounds like what you're saying is it strikes you as just too narrow to really encapsulate what, you know the the thing that is you and uh and when you said that that made me think of uh something a friend told me recently where she said you know when you meet people even if they're just even if they just say hi if you pay attention there's like a whole signature to that where no one can say hi in the way that they did. There's like a whole nature to them. Um, it's so rich. And, and even in the smallest interaction, you can see it. And then of course, when you get to know somebody that, that you just see more of it. Um, but you would, you know, you could maybe call it a soul or maybe a spirit it feels like a better word, but we all have this signature about us. And I'm never going to go meet somebody that's going to be another Tim not, not really. I mean, of course, you'll meet people that remind you of different, of different people and we share characteristics and we can generalize. But I don't know, somehow that seems connected uh, to this idea that, that you were saying that 
yeah, our consciousness is too narrow. It's too like focused, like day to day. It's like, yeah, and I, I as well, I don't identify with. So I program a lot in my work, but I'm not just the thing that completes the programming tasks. I'm actually much bigger than that. If I could just zoom out. So you could zoom out several times, I feel. So, okay, I'm not just the, the thing that gets the programming task done. I'm also the thing that actually decides what programming tasks to do, um, given some, some sort of medium-term goal. But I'm also the thing that's bigger than that that actually decides that medium-term goal. And you can keep zooming out until really the thing I am is, is you know, I have these life values, which I don't need to get into here, but they're quite all-encompassing and they don't really come from a rational place, really when I really think about it. I mean, I have this dream. I would love to <laughs> make a video game someday that people play it. That's not a rational thing. I mean, I could talk about and, and speculate on why it is, but, but I know that at its core, it's something way deeper than rationality. Um, so that's what, that, what, what you said. That's what that makes me think of. Yeah, wow, this book is really spawning more than uh than I thought it would for me personally. And it seems like clearly for you personally, it kind of gives us new ways to think about what it is we're doing with this project of our life. Mm. Yeah. There, I, 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 before we lose it, I, I'm now getting a little conscious about our time, but I think the right move is to not be worried at all about the length of time, you know, yes. if anyone's listening at this point, hopefully it's interesting. And if it wasn't interesting, I'm sure you would have turned it off by now. Well, and uh, I think, but, I think also this, you know, when we get into this flavor of conversation, it's, that's when we shouldn't stop. So, yeah. Um, I, I just want to, the idea of people having signatures is, is very poignant to me. And I don't know if I've encountered that before, but as soon as you mentioned it, it just seemed true. And, I think we could, we would agree, we'd both agree that that must be an unconscious sort of understanding of somebody else because they just mm. said hi. You can say, well, they, maybe they changed their body language a little bit, but maybe you didn't even notice that consciously. Right. You're not tabulating that. You're not, you're not keeping a little spreadsheet in your head and, and tallying them up. Right. It's, it's quicker than that. Yeah. But seemingly in theory, your con unconscious picked up a huge portion of that and, and, and stored some part of it and, and made a very quick decision or, or, or judgment about how that felt to it, whether maybe it can trust this individual. And again, going to the modern man and primitive man dichotomy, I kind of imagine certainly we've been living in cities for the last, what, 8,000, 10,000 years. I mean, I really don't know, but that's still short even for how long humans have existed. So just imagine what it would be like to meet a stranger in a daily primitive man's life. It was probably quite a significant event because yeah. this is like this person can be a huge danger to you. They may be a trading partner, probably more so on the danger end. Whereas now, I interact with people all the time, like clerks and, and coworkers and and then perhaps unfortunate for me, a lot of the times I try to not think about the interaction because I, I find it sort of lacking. Like it's so much human interaction is, is less than satisfying for me. And I know I'm the common denominator and so forth, but 
there's a certain there's a certain frustration when you try really hard to have meaningful conversations and interactions you just come across as a weirdo you're a little too into mm. this transaction right but no matter what way you approach it i think every interaction does seem to have a a it could have some kind of significance mm. and at the, at the at least at the unconscious level no matter how much your consciousness is distracted by your other priorities right well even when i'm like the worst example would be when i'm i'm walking to the store and, and someone approaches me and they start like they ask me for money so i'm living in south africa right now and that happens quite a bit well i won't say quite a bit but it happens enough to be annoying and in those interactions i mean on one level it's not meaningful at all but the the if, if if you zoom in on that story, you know, what really happens there, this guy starts approaching me and I'm already taking in information about him. And I'm consciously doing this as well, but, but it feels more like it's mostly unconscious. I already have logged, you know, he wasn't really on my conscious radar, but now he's walking towards me and I, and I find I already sort of intuit certain things about him. So part of, part of my, being was tracking him to some degree. And uh, usually by the time they ask me for money, I already know that's what's gonna happen um, because of their demeanor. And these are not things I'm consciously tracking. But even in that scenario where, I'm, where the goal is to disengage basically as soon as possible, that's not, that's not a conscious act, that's a very, it's, it's too broadband. The conscious, the, the purely conscious act would be, okay, I would look at this guy. Maybe I would think about his clothes. Maybe I'd like look at his eyes. Like when you, all the different things that I just do automatically unconsciously, there's no way I could do all any of that consciously in any, in any length of um, practical time. So I think even in the, even in the most meaningless interaction, my point is that there's still an incredible amount of information going into you, into your unconscious, that then feels to me presented to my consciousness somehow in a, in a refined way. Yeah, that does seem true. We'll have to come, have to come back to these ideas and hopefully they're explained more because it's, yeah, it's now becoming a, the, the, the interaction between unconscious and conscious and who's doing the processing power mm. I think is, is very much at play here and hopefully it's revealed a bit more. Well, uh, I, had one, I had one more thought that yeah. it's actually not connected to anything we've been talking about this episode. I'm just gonna throw it out there and if, and if you don't really see the connection, we can just move on. Um, I, I, so in a, in a previous chapter, he mentioned one example of the unconscious is that, you know, a man gets up to get something and he, and he starts walking to it. And as he's walking, he forgets what it was, but he finds himself at the table. And then because he's at the table, he sees the thing he needs and he picks it up. And I, it seems his point there is that part of the, what the unconscious did is it, it part of him remembered that the thing was at the table. So he kept going to the table. And then that made me think of like, uh, I think of an experience we're all familiar with where when you're kind of hungry, but m more kind of just bored, uh, you get up and you look in the fridge and nothing's there, but you do that like three or four times, even though you just looked at it like five minutes ago, every time. Yeah. And so, so the thought that came to me is it seems like there's a, there's could be a deep connection between unconscious and habits. 
because when I get up and look at the fridge, you know, five times in a row, I know that it's a habit. It's like a thought pattern. It's like, okay, usually I'm doing something I don't want to do. Like maybe I'm working on a, a frustrating project. So I'll, there's part of my brain. There's like a habit loop that goes, okay, well, let's go look at, let's go look at the fridge. Cause there might be some good food in there. It's not a conscious thought. It's unconscious in fact. Um, but, it, but to me, it's, it's a clear, it's also a clear example of a habit. So I just, I'm just wondering about the connection between unconsciousness and habit. Do you have any thoughts sparking from that? Yeah, it seems to me they must, it must mostly be unconscious Our un, our habits must mostly be the unconscious action. Hmm. I feel like I'm probably just even consciously thinking about different things. I mean, I might have some sense of I'm hungry, but I might be more bored as I walk over the refrigerator. I might be mm -hmm. bored as I survey, you know, the, all the string cheese that I have. It's like, that's <laughs> not what I'm hungry for. And I think that's, that's, it's probably mostly exists. My, my initial in, in instinct is to think that it's, it's mostly unconscious, if not, I don't want to say entirely because of course I have thoughts of being hungry, but those thoughts almost seem not important compared to my body getting up and going there mm -hmm. because I'm often hungry, but I don't act on it. Like when I'm at work because there is no fridge to go to. Yeah. Whereas here I'll get up. Well, maybe that's not the, the, the best way to think about it, but there is that that's my initial reaction to what you're saying that it's mostly unconscious. Yeah. If it's a habit. Right. Right. Huh? Okay. Well, I'm out of points on mine. Do you, do you have any other points you want to get into before we get into our, our dreams? Dreams of the week. I know. I think we covered everything I wanted to talk about and more. So now I'm ready okay. to talk about dreams. All right. We might have to have like uh, some kind of, you know, we, we talked about music for our intro, some kind of yeah. something that fits, oh. but maybe we could have a cool, like, kind of riff like da -na 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 -na. I don't know. Not, <laughs> nothing just, obnoxious I'm, but i'm just like, gonna take your voice clip from that and that'll be it every time. <laughs> all right guys dream of the week <laughs> <laughs> uh, nice nice okay cool um do you want to start oh and by the way we talked off air about um rating the dreams just to add a bit of levity to it so Whoever shares the dream, the other one can can rate it on the typical grade school A plus F minus type thing. Um, and uh, yeah, we talked about this a bit before, but I think they can be pretty pretty um, what's the word? Uh, pretty surface level um, ratings. They don't need to be like you get an A plus because it was meaningful. It could be like you get a D minus because it was boring to me. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> do you want to start? Yeah. Or do you want me to start? I will start. I'll, I'll okay. start. I've got it ready. And I know that if I don't get an A plus, the system is rigged. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> okay. I'll just, I'll go. So again, I, I wrote down, this is something that I woke up at 3.30 AM, had like woke up naturally from this dream and just wrote it down. And then I couldn't go to sleep. Um, not because the dream was particularly profound, I think, but I just woke up at 3.30 and then had the rest of my day. Wow. Um, but Anyways, okay, so here's the dream. Was that just yesterday? <clears throat> it was just yesterday, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I was actually worried. I think part of it was, I think part of what inspired me to pick up my pen and write this down in my notebook at 3.30 was that I didn't have a dream <laughs> memorized at that point. Like, I want a dream for the podcast. Right. And so I think that had some, some motivating force. But 
Okay, so here's my dream. <clears throat> I am in Las Vegas and about to fly home to my family. I need to kill a few hours before my flight. I decide to go to a movie theater, which is also an all-you-can-eat pizza buffet. I get to the buffet, but I'm early. I loiter around, and I notice the other people waiting look a bit dull, as if they would be boring to talk to. The doors open for our theater, and we stream in. I keep trying to find a good seat, but someone keeps getting to a seat I'm trying to get to first. I get frustrated because all the good seats are gone and I'm still looking. But then I notice all the seatings assigned. Everyone's name is on paper on the table where they need to sit. I get to my assigned seat and notice a questionnaire. I notice other people are filling it out, so I do as well. The questions are about if you have ever been charged with public indecency and other questions associated with behaving poorly in public. I feel pretty good about answering most of them no, all but one, all but one question, which I'm unsure about. As I'm finish, finishing the questionnaire, I notice that security guards have been collecting it from people. Security guards seem to be finished collecting the papers. I look over at the person next to me. He looks nervously at me. He also has not finished the questionnaire. His body language changes as if he wants to ask me a question. I know that he wants to ask if I think we should let the security guard know they missed our paper. I don't want him to ask because I feel it doesn't matter and I don't want to have a conversation with him. He is sitting too close to me. Fortunately, I notice the food arrives, so I stand up to help myself. Other people have the same idea and are swarming by the time I get there. The options are not what I expected for a pizza buffet. I look hungrily at some pizza sandwiches. It's pizza ingredients along with lettuce inside of two thick slices of bread. I decide there's too much bread in that option. I don't want to fill up on a bad ratio of bread. I walk over to a hot dog stand. I reach for the tongs to put a generic looking hot dog on my plate, but some lady grabs it first. She seems apologetic about this. I'm surprised at that, but make a joke that there are plenty more of the exact same kind, which is true. There are plenty of hot dogs at the stand. <laughs> She's confused by this. She acts like she wants to talk to me, but I ignore her and decide to pick out a hot dog bun. I see a package that is open. As I reach for it, I notice that there's only one bun in the package. I start to have doubts about it because I imagine all the strange hands that brushed against it, reaching for their own buns. And at that point I wake up. <laughs> oh my God, that's hilarious. That was hard not to laugh. That yeah, <laughs> I it wasn't funny in the dream, but as I was right. writing it down, I'm like, "What is this?" There was like no pizza at the pizza buffet. I was at yeah. like <laughs> pizza buffet, right? <laughs> and it's also trivial. It's like comically trivial. <laughs> like you have this uh, interaction with this woman about the. I like how she's. I also like how you said that they were uh, the hot dogs were apparently generic or. What did, what did yeah. you say? <laughs> they were generic. Like the thing I was thinking of is they looked like I used to in college go get hot dogs and like uh -huh. a choice and they all kind of look the same, but they're like different flavors. Yeah. I was thinking of that, I think, even in the dream. Like all <laughs> hot dogs look alike on the when they're rolling around. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I yeah. I, <laughs> I have a sense this dream was one of the first dreams that had a very clear I had a very clear idea that I think is is the right interpretation is that I think I've been just consuming so much news about the coronavirus mm. and it seemed very clear that like the dullness and the boringness of the people, like 
just me meant that people are not quite aware of like all the stress that's going to hit their life in the next few months. Hmm. But also I want to avoid them. Like I didn't want to talk to anybody. They wanted to talk to me, but I didn't want to talk to anybody there. Hmm. And like people were too crowded in the theater, which annoyed me. And there was a flight involved in the beginning where I was going to go on a flight, which I'm anxious about any flights that I've been on in the last month and, and that I may think about going on, which I certainly won't at this point. And there's just so many elements of things that have been on my mind, including the, the food is like the very last part of the dream is me like sort of having doubts about whether I want to eat any of this buffet food because other people are touching it with their hands. Mm-hmm. And I'm so wary of germs right now. The one part that I don't know how to actually, I have some thoughts about that I won't talk about here, but there was something about me filling out a questionnaire about how publicly decent I am right. and being like, really like, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty decent except for this one thing. <laughs> and I'll have to ask you, you about know, that off air. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. So what would your rating be? Um, that was, that was pretty good. It was funny. So like, I'm going to say, I'm not going to give you an A right away because I still have to feel out the, the range of dreams, but I'm going to say B plus, easy B plus. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm yeah, live with that. Yeah, that's uh, it is interesting. It, what I noticed about that dream is like it's so there were so many. Um, the whole thing felt what's the word like? Uh, it was a bunch of minor things, very like like the guy that in the theater who his body language is like he wants to ask you a question, but you don't really want to talk to him. And then there was interaction with the woman of a similar feel of, well, it's like kind of, not exactly awkward, but like these minor day-to-day interactions that you just kind of, it's funny because they're in some sense complicated to navigate. Um, Trivial, that's the word I'm looking for. There was like a triviality to all of it. Uh, And yet there's a focus too, like you wanna, you know, focused on getting to the theater and choosing food and filling out this questionnaire. And then the people around you and the interactions with them were like trivial and almost, almost annoying. So yeah, I don't know what to make of that, but that, that was just a observation. Yeah. I think it's always a little unusual to talk about the very minutia of an interaction, like where people's eyes are and how their feet are pointing and like their body language. It's like suddenly you're all in touch with, and yet to describe it feels unusual. Hmm. And they're like, well, this is what interaction is like. There's like actually norms to it, but to acknowledge the norms is somehow unusual. Maybe that's not exactly what that's interesting to you about it all, but no, I didn't get that sense from the dream. It it, it all felt um, it all felt useful. I mean, um, actually, I was inspired by you because I, I actually wrote my dreams down rather than just trying to remember them. But in this case, I could have remembered the dream, but I wrote it down specifically so I could have a more graceful way of sharing it. Um, did you write it down immediately upon waking or sort of a, uh, I did. later? I, later? I, okay. I did write it down immediately. Yeah. Um, all right. So here is my dream. I'm in a really large area. It's like a shopping mall, but with huge hallways, uh, almost like an underground metro station, but even three or four or five times bigger than that. Um, and, uh, There are people all around moving as if to go somewhere again, like a sort of a metro station feel, Um, but not quite as crowded. There's the occasional vendor set up. As I move through this area, I'm approached by this guy. 
I could tell by his face that he has some mental deficiency in the same way one can identify strongly autistic people. He has the guileless smile of someone who doesn't really understand the world on the same level as most. He begins to touch me, invading my personal space, and I try to brush him off or get away. I'm not disgusted, but he is violating my personal boundary and I want this to stop. I keep moving, but he is following me, intent on touching me. Again, there is nothing inherently threatening or uncomfortable about the touch itself. Perhaps he's touching my shoulder, but it is incessant and I can't get it to stop. I escalate my strategy. I start to yell at him to leave me alone. And when that doesn't work, I threaten to hit him. And then I do start hitting him mostly on the shoulder. There are still people around and I have an awareness that this may be an individual that is well known around here as sometimes mentally deficient people tend to have particular places they hang out in. A vendor begins to yell at me from across this very large hall and I can't quite make out all of it. He's giving me some kind of advice with how to deal with this guy, but I can't tell if he's saying to just ignore him and move on or encouraging my violence against him to get it to stop. I consider hitting this guy in the face, but I decide against it. Here the dream shifts, or maybe I, for, maybe I had some part of the dream that I've forgotten. Um, but now he and I are in some kind of a large gym and there's nobody else around. He is no longer mentally deficient, but instead is a sort of mutant or superhuman like you might see in an anime. His limbs are freakishly superhumanly long and flexible. Our interaction is more like sparring or fighting than before. I'm more focused on uh, the, the fight or the interaction itself rather than just trying to get away. Um, lost my place. He seems intent on submitting or controlling me rather than simply invading my space. He has lost the innocent guile of before. The stakes of the sparring don't feel very high. I don't feel like I'm in a fight of life or death, but it is taking all of my focus. I am determined to escape his control, whether than to run or fight back, I'm not sure. That's not clear in the dream. But no matter what I do, his long flexible limbs find a way to hold me and keep me under his control. I have the sense that I try many things in the course of this fight, although I can't remember any of it. Uh, upon waking, but nothing I do works. It's a constant kind of futility. He says to me, almost like an anime villain would, you cannot stop me. The implication is that others have tried before and failed. Finally, I accept this as truth. I cannot stop him. I wake up immediately at that point, and I, it's, it's the kind of waking up where you wake up and you breathe deeply very suddenly, like um, you've kind of catapulted into, into being awake. So that's my dream. What's what's uh, what's the rating? That's good. I liked it. I mean, it sounds nightmarish. It's it's really psychologically interesting. There's violence, so I'm pretty comfortable giving it an A nice. right off the bat. First rating. Um, I am a little mad that you got a higher rating, but, <laughs> so I do suspect the system is not fair. But <laughs> no, I mean, in comparison, yeah, mine was so trivial, and yours was so like psychologically compelling. You have this guy that. Can you describe more when he morphs into, in the second part of the dream where you're mm -hmm. isolated with him, he loses his mental deficiency, it sounds like, and he becomes a lot stronger. And the first yeah. one is sort of like social um, discouragement of, of kind of fighting with him. Yeah. But in the second one, there's kind of like a physical, like he's actually now stronger. Yeah, so there's definitely two phases, um, and they're for sure the same dream, and I suspect I just forgot the middle part, the transition, although maybe it really did just transition. It's hard to tell with these dreams, but in the first part, um, I think we've all had experience with, with 
people in public who are mentally deficient, maybe they have Asperger's or autism, but they're quite far on some kind of spectrum. And they kind of hang around the same places and they have interactions with people that usually make the other people feel a little uncomfortable. Usually it's pretty harmless and, you know, uh, maybe even more often than not, they're at least happy and kind of calm. So there's, <laughs> you know, there's certainly not a menace. Um, but anyway, that's, that's the character of this guy. He's just, I can immediately tell he's just one of these sort of, you know, not nearly typical people and he doesn't understand boundaries or he doesn't care and just doesn't really have that module in his head. And so I don't really, uh, I don't really consider it an injustice that he's doing it exactly because you can't really hold those people accountable in the same way. But, but I, yeah, I get increasingly frustrated that I can't get it to stop. And then, and then in the second one, second phase, he's, he's definitely more, it's almost like demonic. So his aspect isn't demonic. He doesn't really look like a demon. And again, I don't feel like I'm in any kind of danger, really. It's more like a, like a, um, a game, but not really fun. It's like something I'm determined to do. I'm determined to get out of this guy's control. And what's demonic about it is the absolute futility that I feel. And I think at this point, the dream actually lasted some time. At least I have the sensation that I'm in this fight slash sparring match and I'm trying several different things. At one point, I remember he reaches up with his feet and like grabs my head, you know, after several things that I've tried and, and, um, and yeah, and he's, he's no, he's sort of demonic just, just in there's like the long limbs and just in his complete control of me. It's like, I'm not really dealing with a human anymore. I'm dealing with some kind of force of nature almost. Um, and then when he says like, you cannot stop me, that's an interesting point because it's, it's almost like he doesn't really say it. It's sort of like a thought that kind of comes from him and kind of comes from me um, in, in an odd way. I don't really know how significant that part is. It just seems, that just seems like a, a weird thing about dreams, that particular point. But, but, then, but then what was really impacting the more I thought about it was that as soon as I accepted that I couldn't, I couldn't stop him from maintaining control, I couldn't win. I wasn't even really intent on winning. I was just intent on getting out of his control. As soon as I accepted that, I immediately woke up. So I don't really know what to make of that part, but it does seem important somehow. And you've been training, uh, you've actually been learning how to fight. And so I wonder if this, for I think for me to have violence in a dream would be very uncharacteristic, but for you, it's become a normal part of your life. Hmm. And so maybe there's something about a sparring match that was kind of more that's salient to you, less out of character. Well, that's interesting because I... Um, that occurred to me, but I discounted it immediately because in my dream, I'm not using any of the techniques that I've learned. The uh -huh. dream was, was, or at least not that I remember, but now that you mentioned it, I'm thinking about it again, you know, part of the appeal of doing these self-defense classes is that, of course, that I can defend myself and I can get myself out of situations. So that's a, that could be, could definitely be a valid interpretation that there's part of me that worries that, uh, well, that it wouldn't be enough somehow. And I guess there's some truth to that. Like there's ne you're never going to be completely prepared for every situation. But, but yeah, that, um, yeah, that's an interesting, interesting thought. 
Does there, I mean, this is a very interesting dream. Do you have any, you, you kind of said you had no idea about what it could be, but I, I'm just kind of tempted to ask, is there? No, I do. Any, oh, you do? Okay. Mm, yeah. Well, I mean, well, I have some thoughts. I, it seems like the whole dream is about, especially the second half though, it's about me trying to achieve something. At first it's just trying to stop something unpleasant, but in the end, the feeling is more that I have this goal of um, what well, the goal happens to be to get out of this guy's control, but I'm very intent on it and nothing I'm doing works. And, and then I give up and then I wake up immediately. And I can't attach it to anything concrete in my life, but I think that the idea there is there are things in my life that I, that I, feel like are futile to fight against and and maybe the right course is just to give up because um, when i gave up it didn't i wasn't scared i just decided that it's futile and then i woke up and one one great example that that i that definitely has happened in in my recent life is that i've been trying to get on a morning schedule for a long time a sleep schedule where i wake up early and go to bed early for years and I've been getting better at it, but it's mostly just better getting better at self-control. And I, I started reading this book on sleep recently, and it made a, you know, I'd heard that some people are morning people and some people are night people, but this book made a particularly compelling case that it's, it's kind of hardwired into us. And it occurred to me that, you know, I've been trying this for so long, and it's still a struggle both to get up early and to go to sleep early. And... Uh, and so about uh, two weeks ago, I just decided, you know what, I'm going to just try to sleep whenever I want. Uh, fortunately, my work is, is very self-directed, so I can work whenever I want, so I don't have to get up for anything. And um, well, the results of that experiment are tentatively positive, but the point there is that I, I've been trying to get on this morning schedule for so long, and I've had success, but it's, as I said, it's all about self-control. I've never gotten to the point where it's easy. And so... And I had this dream after I decided to to stop and just try out uh, what seems to be my more natural sleep rhythm. So that that could be something. Um, I've had other other sort of more minor incidences of of where I've tried something and just decided to give up recently. But yeah, that's that's my I don't know if I could even call it a hypothesis because it's not exactly fully formed, but. Um, that's definitely something I can connect it to. And it does seem to be about futility and giving up mm -hmm. and, and, but like not in a negative way. Like it's, it's, I wasn't afraid or sad that I was giving up. The dream was just the fact that it was futile and I did give up. That seemed to be all the dream was yeah. telling me. That's interesting because you're talking about a demonic presence, this force of nature that you're wrestling with, and yet you're not afraid. So that suggests to me well, that it's not just, something that you're... Just to be clear, when I say demonic, I really only mean just in the futility of fighting against it. But but yeah. Right. Well, I mean, the like the long limbs that, mm. that that's it's all it does seem like it could be scary, but it's not. So that's like almost just it, it, maybe yeah, demonic isn't even right, because that is like kind of a scary word. But it does seem like this is not something that you need to be afraid of, mm. but that is like very clearly futile. It's so much more powerful than you. Right. And again, what we're learning about dreams is it's really hard to know what to project that, that figure. I mean, that could be a form of yourself. 
it could be someone in your life. It could be like a government type entity. It kind of sounds like the dream idea though, like shifting schedules, even though it has some level of seemingly it's kind of mundane when you sleep, but it's actually not. It's really important that you get the proper amount of sleep for so many reasons. And if you're resisting that for years and then you finally give up and in this dream you're having, you give up yes. and it, you wake up immediately. That seems so, yes. seems to click very well with that whole yes. struggle, at least I, the second part of the dream. And I'll also say actually, so I had that dream early in the night, uh, like two or three or something. And this is when I went to bed at one, 12 to one. And, uh, and then the, and then I went back to sleep and I, that when I woke up, I noticed that my sleep felt extremely deep. Like it was remarkably, mm. it felt remarkably deep. Um, even more so than, than since. So that would add sort of a bit more evidence to that idea that uh, it is related to the sleep. And it, is, and, and it really fits, the feeling of it fits, you know. This struggle with getting on a morning schedule is it's, I've tried so many things and I've, I've never been able to get to the promised land that I kept imagining where I just got used to getting up at six. Uh, you know, it's like at best, it'd be like 50-50 where Half the time I would get up easily, half the time it would be a struggle. And some of those half the times I just wouldn't even get up. So the futility matches up perfectly there. At first I was trying to contrast this dream you're striving with the other dream that it sounds like you have in the same week perhaps of flying. And I'm like, man, they really don't fit at all where one feels like it's freedom and one feels like it's a oh, struggle. Okay. But now they align a lot better if they, in fact that was a recent dream. No, the flying one was years ago. But oh, I haven't okay. Had, haven't had the dream since. Okay, no, never yeah. mind then. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, that's that's uh, that's pretty good. I'm I'm satisfied with the uh, with all that. Cool. Alrighty then. Um, any uh, any closing thoughts from you? I don't really have anything else to go over. No, no. I think we uh, we did a good job. Cool. Good job. Good job, us. You know what? We don't even need to publish this. It, it only matters what we <laughs> think. Yeah, I am my own best and worst critic. <laughs> Ivy. Okay, well, thanks for tuning in, guys, and we will see you next time. Bye. Oh, fuck. My mic died. <laughs> <laughs>